we're going to continue this week in our series called One, and um, I'm just going to do a little recap real quick, uh, just so we can kind of bring it up to speed and what we've been talking about. This is all rooted out of John 17. If you haven't realized that by now, I'll have it drilled in after a few more weeks. It's John 17. Jesus prays a prayer to the Father in the presence of his disciples. They hear him pray. Jesus doesn't say, this is how you should pray. This is what Jesus actually prays. And he prays that all his people will be one as he and the Father are one. As, as he is in the Father and the Father's in him, he wants us to be in him and be united. And uh, that very simple and short prayer in John 17 is quite instructive for our lives. And we've been talking about what that looks like. The first week we talked about that incredible prayer. What an audacious prayer. You know, and James says, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And we know that Jesus is the only righteous person to ever exist, right? And so his prayer is availing much in unity in his people. It has to be, right? And if I'm not unified with the people of God, that's my failure, not his. His prayer has been answered. And I believe it's been answered in some of us uh, and as we submit to him, including myself, right? Um, and then the, the second week we talked about one God. You know, we live in a time where there's pluralistic gods and, you know, no gods and some gods and maybe gods and all that stuff. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. We talked about who the Bible says God is and how that matters to our life. That was week two. And then last week we talked about this idea of having one life in Christ. Uh, we talked about peripateo. My wife asked me to never do what I did last week again. Apparently I strutted around on stage. <laughs> If you noticed it, I had no self-awareness, but my family made fun of me all week about my strutting around on stage. They reenacted it. It was pretty awkward. So I apologize if I drove you from Jesus last week with my strutting. But I was trying to make the point that we walk in God's spirit and praise God for that, that we can live and walk and have our being in his presence one life in Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift to us. And then today, we're going to get now, and I told you early on, we were going to get practical in the series, and we'd be getting more practical. All scripture is practical. All theology is practical, but we want to really live it out. That's what family groups is doing, by the way. Family groups is going to study the same things we talked about here, and they're going to say, yeah, but really, how does it work? Like, we want to take it apart and look at it, understand it, but this is my life, and it doesn't make sense for me. How does it work? And so if you struggle with those things in the Bible like I do, you want to be in a family group so you can talk about how it really works. How is God really giving you victory? How are you really seeing failure in your life? And just live it out because God's word is not intended to be read and put away, but to be applied and lived out. It's, to, it's actually intended to set you free, to set you free in Christ, set me free in Christ. Praise God for that. And so the, the word of God has to be lived out. Well, we have a, um, a memory verse that we're going to share, and I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Just felt like doing this, right? Um, the memory verse is from Ephesians. It's on your, your engagement sheet there. Uh, verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, I believe, right? And you all saw me fail, fail utterly last time um, at, let's see, and skip this one. Give me a minute, do some administration here. There we go. Marriage. That's what we're talking about this week is one marriage, okay? And this is a really, and, and so just check it out with us. It's going to be really crazy what God's going to show us through Scripture today, I believe, because he's shown me some crazy stuff this week. But we've been looking at this um, uh, Ephesians, and so I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. We're going to recite it together, this memory verse from Ephesians. It's something weird. We don't usually do this family Bible, but stand up together, okay? That's part of your instruction, and we're going to read this Scripture together. Just because God is worthy, right? And we're going to listen. But I'm going to do something else. 
I'm going to ask you that if you are married and your spouse is here, that you hold their hand while you do this. And I'm going to ask you that if you are not married, or if you're married and your spouse isn't here, that you don't hold anyone's hand. <laughs> I'm serious though, right? I've, that's what I want you to do. Okay, so if you're married, hold each other's hands. We recite this verse together. And if you're not married, please do not hold anyone's hand. All right, and we're going to read it together here. Let's see if I can get it on the screen. Oh, there we go. There is one body, one spirit, just... All and in all. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Now, why would I do that? As I think about this unity that Jesus wants for his people, right? As I think about how that really looks in our life, one of the first areas that we might come to mind for us is marriage. Our whole culture celebrates marriage, right? Everyone wants to get married. I mean, have you been watching the news? Everyone wants to be married these days. It doesn't matter who you're marrying, just be married. Everyone wants it. It's something to be desired. Matter of fact, um, Hebrews says marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is to be honored by all. And when we read this verse, and I think about Jesus' prayer, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, if he wants it for us as his followers, he certainly wants it for us in our marriages. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now, I ask you if you weren't yet married, or if you aren't married and not planning to be married, not to hold anyone's hand, because you're going to find today that this is going to, this blew me away. I'm so excited. We're just going to get right into it. But I hope we learn something today. I, I hope we do. Um, it applies to everyone, okay? And that's not just the way language. It applies to everyone, okay? And so we're going to talk about that today. I want to say one other thing that... Um, that Hebrews says that marriage is to be honored by all, and a conviction that we have at Family Bible Church is we want to honor marriages. We want to help any way we can people's marriages be strengthened, to celebrate marriages, to respect marriages, to respect our own marriages, and respect other people's marriages. Like, we, we're praying that God would make that a marker of us as people, that we would be the kind of people that would respect marriage, hold it in high regard, celebrate it, and all that. And uh, I'm going to avoid rabbit trails today, I hope, but, but that's something that the church has failed utterly to do. I believe. I mean, the church has utterly failed to celebrate how awesome of a gift marriage is. And then when we see the culture clamoring for what they call marriage, it doesn't measure up to God's standards because we haven't held the banner up on this. We haven't really celebrated it enough. And I know why, because sometimes we're broken people and we hurt each other and there's divorce and there's failure and there's sin. And so I know, and it gets messy and it's hard. But man, that doesn't mean that marriage isn't to be honored by all. It is. We still honor God in marriage. We still celebrate. I hope, and maybe, you know, I hope that you pray for those around you who are married. I hope if you're married, you pray for your own marriage. I hope you pray for your spouse. I hope you pray for your kids if they're married. I hope you pray for your kids if they want to get married. I hope your parents are praying for you. I hope you pray for your parents. In their marriage. Marriage is to be honored by all, and there's no exception from that in Scripture. All right, so we're going to jump in today. We're going to get into the Word of God. Before we do, we're going to pray. We always ask this, that God would inspire us to understand His Word. We want Him to be our one teacher today, not me, not Family Bible Church, but the Lord Himself to teach us. So 
Pray with me if you would. Father, today we come to your house to praise you and, and just sing glory to your name. Holy, holy, holy. You are so perfect and beautiful. You have the right to be praised, not just by those of us gathered here, but by the whole creation. All the birds, the field, the little crawly things in the ground, the plants that spring up as spring comes, the snow that blankets the earth, the cold winds that blow, they're for your glory. And we join you today in just worshiping you. You are so beautiful to us, and we thank you for the chance to know you. We're asking today, Father, that you would teach us from your word, that you would help our hearts change, that you would help us to recognize that in your son, Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, we are free, that we can worship you and we can serve. May you be glorified as we seek you out today. We need your help. We're desperate for your help to understand your word rightly. We don't want to think of our own man-made traditions, Father. We want to make up rules we have to follow and feel good about ourselves. We want to worship you. We want to know you. We want to be obedient children and glorifying to you and just celebrating this life you've given us. Help us to do that, would you? In your kindness and your mercy and your grace that's everlasting, would you have mercy on us today and teach us as we sincerely seek you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We're going to turn first to John 17. We've been studying this to pick up. We're just going to read one verse from John 17, but go ahead and turn there if you would. If you haven't read it, feel free to read it. It's verses 20 through 26. But John 17, verse 21 says this, that all of them, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that all of them may be one. This is Jesus' prayer for those who would come to believe in the message of his apostles, the gospel. I pray, Father, that those who would come to believe in me and my name would be one, all of them. And as I said, we're, and that's actually the next three weeks, that one idea of all of us being one in Christ. So the first step, though, we're going to talk about is in marriages, that we would be one in Christ. The first thing that, that I think of when I read Jesus' prayer, and I think, well, is this accurate? Does this matter, right? As I look to Jesus, he is the author and completer of our faith. He is the first and the last. He's the perfect God-man. He's the perfect model. He did it exactly like it should be done. No error in his ways at all. And so when we ask the question, is this right? We should look to Christ and say, well, what did he say? And, and specifically about marriage, what did he say, okay? And so we're going to talk about a few teachings that Jesus himself um, has. But the first thing I want you to know is that Jesus celebrated marriage. He celebrated marriage, okay? I'm going to start with a weird one here, but you'll remember that he was walking around with his disciples, and he sent him to town for some things. He was going to Samaria, and he stopped for a drink at a well, and he asked a woman for water. Remember the story? And the woman said, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Why would you ask for water from me? Because they're unclean, and Jews are clean, and he's a teacher, and all this stuff. And, and he gets in this conversation. We often kind of pity that woman in this conversation, but I find it striking because what Jesus says to her when he starts to tell her the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Messiahship, his own Messiahship, he says, go and get your husband. And you'll remember the woman says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you don't. You have five, and the one you're with now isn't your husband either. Now, you might go, oh, Jesus. Like, you know, what they say, um, they don't say snap anymore. I don't know what they say, you know. Snaps out, you know. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, they, but you're like, oh, that's so mean. Oh, why would you say? He's just speaking the truth. Marriage be honored by all. 
This is his daughter. He knows this woman. You hear that when he says, she says, come and meet a guy who knows everything about me. That's why she tells her friends after she meets Jesus and he promises her living water. Come meet my friend who knows everything about me. So in that moment, Jesus is honoring marriage. Daughter, the man you're with isn't your husband. You don't have one, right? Now that's not him being critical. That's him holding up this concept of what God intended for marriage. Check it out. Then, um, I'm gonna put this one up, I think, on the screens here. Matthew, Jesus gave very specific instructions on marriage, okay? And this comes from the, uh, the book of Matthew, verses uh, 36. I'm gonna see if I can find the actual here in mind. Matthew chapter um, 19. Off a few pages there. All right, so Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. Um, Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. And so they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Okay, and we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go through that again. But Jesus says this Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them female, male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they will be one flesh? Isn't it? Be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One more time. They will leave their mother and father and be united to their wife. And they will become one flesh. That sounds like his prayer in John, in John 17, verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one. That's Jesus' teaching on marriage. When you get married, and then I want you to see, and you go, okay, and they're asking the same question. You know, Moses gave us divorce, and you go, well, the state gave us divorce. What's the big deal, right? But here's the next thing. This is where Jesus sees things differently than we do, as always. And what he says is what? Therefore, the things that God has joined together, let man not separate. Because, see, for Jesus, marriage is, is a God thing. It, it's, it's his plan for you. And if God brings you together, don't let man tear it apart. Hebrews 13 says marriage is to be honored by all, all. So I love that. And so Jesus here, here gives some very clear instructions, right? When they come and they say, and he says, this is the reason that man's gonna leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, there'll be one flesh, and what God may, puts together, let no one divide. So Jesus is clearly teaching here on the principle of marriage. Well, right, I said he celebrated marriage. Well, here's the, here's the third one, and I think we're gonna look at this in John. Oh, there was the rest of it, right? The two will be one flesh. Okay, so here we go. One more. John uh, chapter 2, I believe it is. Let's see, there we go. I don't have the page number there for you. I apologize for that. But John chapter 2, and we're going to read the first few verses here. You've heard this story before, but I want you to see it. And I want to note something particularly this morning that's striking about Jesus' celebration at the wedding feast. Whenever I perform a wedding ceremony, by the way, I get asked to do that. It's quite an honor to do it. And if, just so you guys know how it works at Family Bible Church, um, you guys set me aside for ministry. And so when couples come in and say, hey, I want to be married, I'm like, awesome. I'll be glad. I'd love to do that. But one thing we require here, and I require personally, is premarital counseling. And that's not so that I can teach people how to properly be married. It's so that we all take it seriously so that we honor Christ in our marriages. And I'm not the best counselor, but I've had many couples that come and they go, I don't want to do that, I just want to get married. And then I get to say, 
Find somebody else, you know, because I, they, somebody did it for Chris and I, and I want to do that. So that's how we do it at Family Bible Church. Because of your faithful generosity, we can sit with people and spend weeks counseling them before the day that their hearts and minds are right with what they're about to do. It's a very holy and sacred thing they're entering into a marriage. And I say that because every time I do a wedding, I always say Jesus celebrated at the, at the wedding in Cana with his first miracle. I love to be able to say that, that Jesus celebrated weddings. Um, here it is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So he got an invitation. That's pretty sweet. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Jesus replied, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. His mother then went to the servants and said, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing. I want you to hear that, right? There were these jars of water that were used for purification, for ceremonial washing. Each one held 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, so they weren't all the same size. It's just a little collection of jars you can go and you wash up, ceremonially clean. Jesus said to the servants, fill those jars with water. And so they filled them to the very top. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet, right? It strikes me that we don't see anything happen here, right? He says, fill those jars up, now take that ladle to the banquet, check it out. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. It's in that tasting. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. That's pretty cool. Then he called the bridegroom aside, right? This is the guy in charge, and he says this. Everyone else brings out the choice wines first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. That blew me away. Every time, and we're, um, I'm not going to do too much here, but every time we, we talk about this, I always say, well, yeah, I was in a fraternity in college. Anybody in a fraternity in college? Okay, good for you. <laughs> that's, why, that's why it's a miracle I'm in church, you know what I mean? Because we would do that. You wouldn't serve your best liquor first because too many kids were there drinking your liquor. It was bad, you know? I mean, you would serve it first, and then you would serve the bad stuff later. And, and that's exactly what this guy says. Everyone brings their best wine first, and when everyone's had a little too much wine, they bring out the cheap stuff. Keep it going, you know, save some money, right? And this guy tastes, and he says, wait a minute. No one saves their best wine to last. I got, I, here's a principle, and you're going to see it in a minute. I promise you, are you single here today? You're going to see it in a minute. And if you're married here today, you're going to see it in a minute. I promise you. But Jesus saves the best wine for last. The best for last. And that becomes a principle that we can take from this miracle of tasting the water and having it be wine. The best they had ever had. All right? So check that out. Um, so now we're going to get practical. We're going to say, okay, so what does the Bible really teach about practical marriage questions? Like real stuff. And I'm just going to, we're going to be surfaced, but I'm going to hit a few things that the Bible clearly teaches. But we know that Jesus himself celebrated marriage. He was a fan of marriage, okay? And, and as we get into this, I'm going to say this right up front. Because what we're going to get into now is what the Bible teaches believers about marriage. And so if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, I'm going to encourage you, whether you're married or single, to keep seeking God. 
Because God says, if you seek me out, I will be found. And he will save you if you cry out to him. And so we're not leaving you out of this. Like, keep seeking God in your life. But what we do know is that the biblical instructions for marriage is for believing people, people who believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. That's the truth, right? And so when our culture doesn't honor marriage like we think they should, that's because they aren't believers in Jesus. We shouldn't ask them to. But we should honor Christ, follow his instructions. So if that makes sense, keep seeking God and uh, he will be found. It's a beautiful thing. My favorite verse, by the way, Matthew 7, 7, ask, seek, and knock. And uh, that's a promise from God himself, okay? You can find him. So the first thing is this. So because Jesus celebrated marriage, for those of us who are believing in Jesus, um, we should not choose to be married to an unbeliever, okay? And we're going to turn to um, 2 Corinthians for this. 2 Corinthians um, 6, 14 through 16. There's going to be a lot of scripture today, but they're kind of all in the same area. But 2 Corinthians 6, now I'm going to push one and see if I'm there. Yeah, there it is, 6, uh, 14 through 16, if you want to get eyes on it. I mean, this is what Paul, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's writing about various issues, and, and we're going to talk about this. While it doesn't apply, it's not meant, marriage isn't mentioned, it's certainly part of what would be considered binding yourselves, those who are non-believing, okay? Here's what the word says. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That's what Paul writes. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or what harmony is there between Christ and Bilal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and of idols? For we are temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people, right? So when Paul says, don't be unequally yoked, he's talking about in a whole bunch of ways. Don't bind yourself up people who are not believing. But it certainly would also include marriage, okay? And um, why? why? What would, and I got, I want to tell you right now, my wife married an unbeliever, now, she said I was a deceiver, and I was, right? But she did, and so it's hard for me to go, because, uh, you know, it, praise God, he used my marriage to redeem me, right? He used my wife and her faithfulness. But when you look at it and you listen to what God is saying here, he's saying, why, what does God have to do with idols? Let me just walk a hypothetical out with you. So you love Jesus, and you know he is all-sovereign, all-glorious, creator of all things, knows what's best for you and you worship him and you submit to him and you call him king and lord in your life and then you meet this girl and man she's a looker <laughs> you know what i mean you meet this guy and he is a knight in shining armor you know he's the one and you know it you know it you don't need anybody to tell you that, you know what i mean he's the guy right and all of a sudden you recognize that he isn't submitted to the king, to God. He isn't. She isn't. I've talked to brothers and sisters on both sides of this equation. Yeah, man, but, I, I, you know, I can save them, right? There's a little, there's a little fallacy for us, right? I, I can, and I'm not being light here, but what is the issue? The issue is, who do you submit to? You see, what he says is, what does God have to do with idols? 
Now, I had tricked my wife into thinking I was a believer. I even went to church and got married in a church. Pastor Leonard Pye, he, he officiated our ceremony, right? But then all of a sudden, my wife's allegiance was divided. Do I honor my husband or do I honor the Lord? Right? That's what happens. A friend of mine was, had a girl, and she's the one, she's the one, and he wanted it so bad. And I said, brother, let's just pray, and I am not the holiest guy. I'm telling you, like, I got here all the wrong ways. And so I start praying to this dude who has, who's way holier than I am, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man, but let's just pray about it. And we prayed about it, and he comes back, and he says, God told me to break up with her because she's not, she's not for me because she's not believing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't get crazy. <laughs> That's what I told him, right? There's good advice. I wasn't a pastor, not that it matters. I said, don't get crazy. Think about it. Pray some more. Pray for the answer you want. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he did it. And I stood in awe. <sighs> and I'm like, man, God, that dude worships you better than I do, you know? And then a few months later, he calls me up. And he went through the heartache and stuff, and he says, Bill, I met a girl, and we're getting married. And I said, dude, you just broke up, and now you met a girl? She was that last one. Was the, Are you sure? And he says, no, God says this is the one. And I'm just telling you, every time I see them, they're not even around here, but I see their beautiful marriage and couple, their partners in the gospel, and it's just awesome. And I'm like, right. You see, it's not punitive. God's not taking options off the table. He's leaving you open for the option he wants for you. And that's hard. But that's what my friend did. And I'm just telling you, I was amazed. Praise God. Don't be yoked to those who are non-believing. Don't bind yourself. And I will say again, this goes beyond marriage. This instruction is about idolatry of our hearts. Partnering with people who are not oriented toward Christ because it's efficient. It gets something done for us. It meets a need that we have. It goes beyond marriage. But it's really a question of idolatry. Who do you worship? Who do you submit to? All right? And now we're going to spend the rest of our time in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, and it's going to be back a few pages where we are. I'm going to spend the rest of our time here in 7, okay? But the next is this that um, you shouldn't choose an, un an unbeliever to be married to, but once we're married, we should stay, okay? Once we're married, we should stay. And this is the clear instruction from Scripture. I think I have that. Yep, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 17. We're gonna walk these out a little bit, one at a time, okay? Some of these next slides here. So 17, 8, starting there. Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth. This is a previous letter, by the way, he wrote to them. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say this. It is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. You see, Paul himself was an unmarried man. He says, it's good for you to stay married as I am, in verse 8. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, because it's better to marry than to burn with passion, okay? So he's like, but marriage is allowable. So Paul doesn't exclude it. He doesn't say it's not allowed. He says, it would be better that you wouldn't be married, but if you're going to burn with passion, go ahead and Get married. Now, reading on then to the next instruction. To the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else reconcile to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Right? So here he says, you must 
stay. That's the, the point. You must stay. So if you're in a marriage now, this is a very practical teaching. If you're married and your spouse is not believing, you stay, okay? And no matter what you think of my story, maybe you have your own story. Maybe you married your husband or your wife and you thought they were believing. Maybe like me, they were a deceiver. They tricked you, you know, said enough church words. You thought they were in, they aren't. You stay. That's what the instructions are. You, you, you stay in the marriage, right? Matter of fact, he's writing this because there were some people in the church that thought, well, now that I know Jesus, I should divorce my wife and just worship Jesus and, you know, divorce my husband and worship Jesus. And he says, no, 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 you should, you should stay. As a matter of fact, I think if we read on here, let me see what's next. Um, to the rest I say, yeah, see, verse 12. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Okay, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. That's the instruction. So again, if we're married to a non-believer, we're called to stay. Now here's the irony of this. That's a hard thing to do because you will find yourself in constant conflict. If you're not united in your mission, and there's always some degree of this, I believe, as the Spirit leads us forward in our lives, there's some there's some. But we're called first to our marriage, right? What I always like to say to people is, you know, people say, I think I made a mistake. And I go, okay, I believe that. We all make mistakes. I'm going to make a whole bunch today, right? But did God? Like, did you invite God into the situation you were in when you asked, when you were married? Again, so many people want to be married. I want to be married before God. Well, guess what? God isn't asleep at the wheel. He's not absent that day. And so you got to start figuring out then, okay, Lord, so you were there, and I feel like it's a mistake now, so what are you trying to teach me about marriage, about commitment? I don't know, about loving someone, right? And that gets hard, and people just wear out, right? It's a hard, hard, hard thing. I want you to see something that's crazy interesting to me. If you read on in verse 14, this is what Paul writes. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, your children are holy. Now that, that's a hard instruction. Because you know what? It's Protestants, right? We believe that I have to decide if I follow Jesus. I have to make the choice to follow him. <laughs> My wife has nothing to do with my faith. Whenever I was a non-believer, I said, my wife has nothing to do with what I believe, and I have nothing to do with what she doesn't believe, right? That's what I always tell people. It's lies. You know why? And, and right, are you there with me? Are you thinking, eh, no, you know, um, I'm pretty sure that doesn't work that way, Bill, and uh, my, my wife got to work out her salvation because otherwise when she gets there, it's you know, not going to be real, and I believe, but she doesn't, or vice versa. What did Jesus say? It's for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become... How's that set in your theology? Paul says it. A believing spouse can sanctify your wife. A believing wife can sanctify your husband. And I'm here today by the grace of God as one who was sanctified by a believing spouse on this earth. But I don't think that's what that means. It means you stay the course. You love them. You, you care for them. 
You don't, you know what I mean? You don't, and this is what I told you before, but you don't bicker at them. You don't try to convince them. You don't try to change them. You just trust God got you into this mess and we're going to get out of it together, Jesus. You know what I mean? You were there when I married this dude. We're going to get through it somehow. You know what I'm saying? And he becomes your lifeline and your spouse by the grace of God is sanctified. Don't believe it? Find something else. Find something else in Scripture that says the opposite. I'm going to separate what God brought together. When you come to meet me, your Savior, I'm going to part the flesh that I had a hand in joining in faith. I don't see it. So church, it's hard, but it says your spouse will be sanctified. Your children will be holy. Crazy, awesome teaching. That's what it says, right? So if you're married and your unbelieving spouse is pleased to be with you, which is another thing, if they're pleased to be with you, right, then you love them and you pray for them. That's what you do. You love them and you pray for them and you plan a life together and you honor God every time you get a chance. You don't back off from submitting to Christ, but you honor and pray for your spouse, trusting that God is at work in their life and trusting that God can do more to bring them to salvation than you ever could because he can and he will. So that's that, okay? So we, we stay. Now the next part here is this, unless they leave, Right? But, verse 15, if the unbeliever leaves, let him go. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Right? What would that be about? If an unbelieving spouse then says, I'm out of here. And I know a lot of people in church, and they got divorced from unbelieving spouses, and they spend years feeling like a pariah in the community. Oh, are you married? No, I'm divorced right they're right i don't go to church anymore since i got divorced since my husband left me since my wife abandoned me right he says if a non-believing spouse leaves let him go right what why if you, if you, I, I, I'm just saying, looking at the scripture, what's the alternative option would be to chase them all around the planet saying, baby, please, baby, baby, please, baby, please come back. I'll give you the rest of my life. I'll give you all of my allegiance. I will follow you and you alone just at all costs. And that sounds like something we should say to Jesus, not a husband or wife who doesn't believe. So you love them. You pray for them. Now, don't make it miserable to be with you, Right? Don't make it miserable in your house because you're a believer and they're not. But if we chase them around, it'd be idolatry. It would not honor God. He says, if they leave, let them go. Let them go. Look at what it says in verse 16. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? How? By being faithful. By being faithful. Sometimes, this is so funny, because sometimes we talk in our lives as if God isn't present, right? I can't do this. That's fair enough. But to act as if you really can't because you don't have Christ is a lie if you're a believer. I can't do this, but God can, right? I can't continue. Yeah, on your own you can't, but with Christ I can. I can persevere in all things. We stay unless they leave. That's the instruction, right? 
from Scripture. Okay, now here we're going to turn the corner a little bit, and this is the thing. So marriage, then, is a temporary calling. And I'm going to say this in a couple of ways now. See, and I say this to my young couples who are thinking about getting married. You know, I say, are you sure you're called to be married? Are you sure? Because there's three answers. Yes, no, or not yet. That's always the three answers that you can give or God can give you. Yes, you're called to be married. No, I'm not called to be married or not yet. And I want to say something to you all. If there are people, and there are people who are not called to be married, does not mean they're less than people who are called to be married. They're God's people. They're just not called to be married. And we should stop. We celebrate marriage, but we don't not celebrate people who are unmarried. That makes no sense, right? Marriage should be honored by all, and uh, we celebrate with everyone. But you know, it's a calling. Are you called to be married? Look at verse 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him, right? Now, literally, this means if you come to faith, and now I'm a believer, my wife isn't. You don't divorce your wife because you're a believer and she's not. That's a clear instruction already, right? But here he says, you remain in your place and in your calling. That's what the Lord's called you to. The circumstances in which you met Jesus is where you are. And he knows that. You remain in your calling. Marriage and, and whether or not be married is a calling. I, I think it's funny because while our culture, and it is a mess, I can't get my head around it, honestly, but while they, they all want uh, to be married, it seems, um, they, 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 what, don't, it's kind of flippant, you know, it's not, um, try it out, or, or we'll see how it goes, you know, um, or they don't think it's necessary, um, uh, to, it's just crazy right now what's going on in, in, in my day too so I mean it's not like all oh, these kids these days because in my day it was crazy too man we were doing all kind of crazy stuff with marriage I'm sure some of you people in here who think you're old you probably did some crazy stuff when you were younger thinking you know you were figuring stuff out right I mean about marriage and what's required scripture clearly teaches us marriage is a calling and we are called uh, to be obedient to that calling whatever it is in our lives so but, but check it out now and I'm going to ask this question. We're going to wrap up. I know we're really late here. Um, how many of you believe that? Now, we're talking about marriage here with people, right? One another. How many of you believe that you will be married in heaven to your spouse because you love them so much? None of you love your spouse that much. <laughs> You're all like, man, I hope not. <laughs> if I got to put up this guy for one more millennium, I'm going to kill somebody. Murder in heaven, right? Anybody think you're going to be married? Yeah, it's good you, you know, raise your hand in church is always dangerous, right? I ask, maybe you ask a question to yourself, you know, do I think I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be, I can't wait to get to heaven and, you know, be with my husband and my wife again and all that stuff. We have um, some scripture from Jesus. It was asked um, by the, uh, uh, the Sadducees, I think. Um, I'm going to see if I got it here. Uh, Matthew 22, 23 through 33. I'm going to read it, and we'll talk about one little piece of it, okay? So 22, 22, 23 through 33. That same day, some Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, Moses told us that when a man dies while having children, his brother must marry that widow and have children with him. Now, there were seven brothers among us, and the first one married and died, and since he had no children, his brother had to marry his wife, and the same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down the line until the seventh brother. Finally, the woman died herself. I bet she did after marrying seven brothers in a row. Now, when at the resurrection, those whose wife will she be of the seven? Which one gets her? This is a question that's posed to Jesus. Since all of them were married to her. And Jesus answers this way. 
Are you in error because you do not understand scriptures or the power of God? At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven, right? So they will neither be married or given in marriage, but they'll be like angels in heaven. I'm going to confess to you. I, we asked, had this conversation in our family. And I said, what do you think? And, and my wife, who loves me very much more than I deserve, she said, uh, I like to think so. And I said, you know what Jesus said? We won't be. We won't be. Wow. That was different, right? And then she said, will, will I know you? And I said, well, do you think you'll still want to know me when we're in heaven? <laughs> we're not there yet. Got a long way to go, baby. All of a sudden, you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, till death us do part means something. Not just on this earth, you know, meatloaf, praying for the end of time, you know what I'm saying? He had a bad theology, right? Because at death, we part. Why would that be last place we're going to stop? It's a temporary calling. It's a temporary calling because we're heading for one marriage. And this is true for single, married, widowed, Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul has a great marriage. You know that? He's a great marriage, Apostle Paul does. He was never with a woman on earth. It's going to be in Revelations chapter 19. I'm going to read it while you turn there. After this time, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. And for true and just are his judgments, he has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted together, Hallelujah. Picking up now in verse 4. The smoke from her eyes, or from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried out, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear them, fear him both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting out, hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. A wedding feast in heaven. I told you earlier, whenever Jesus' first miracle was at Galilee, and that guy drank it and he said, oh man, everybody brings the best wine first. You save the best to last. And that's actually what scripture teaches us about our marriage. Why do we honor God first in our marriage? Because we're gonna be married to him forever. We are his people. He is our God. I'm not, I'm not being mean. I think we're gonna, there's, Jesus said you're gonna be like angels in heaven, right? Angels are distinct creatures. They, they have bodies and, you know, I mean, they, they, have, they have a presence. You know, they have something. Uh, they're entities. They're not just a blob. You know, just evaporate and you're, you're still you. Matter of fact, you're essentially who God always intended you to be. But this idea that I need my husband or my wife in heaven more than I need Jesus Christ himself is crazy. It's not biblical. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that gives me, at one time, a great encouragement and praise 
for me personally that God called me to be married because I needed it. And it gives me a great encouragement and praise for my brothers and sisters who aren't called to be married because they have completeness in Christ. And it gives me a great hope and aspiration for that day whenever God had not separated what he drew together and for eternity I'm with him in Christ. That's what we're heading for. One marriage, one chorus of hallelujah, one voice like roaring waters. And uh, we're all going there together, man, in, in Christ's name and by the grace of his prayer. We're going there. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And we prepare today what is a wedding feast. It's just some juice and bread, but it's Christ's table. It's a reminder that this is not it. And it's a reminder that no matter how bad this is, God has something better coming. Something better coming for all who believe in Him. Uh, please pray with me if you would. Father, today we give you praise and glory for the great gifts you've given us as your people the gifts of your, your unending patience and your grace to us, the gifts of your presence and your loving breaking of us when we're failing, when we're doing wrong things that you won't just let us keep doing them and you will convict us of our sin. I give you praise, Father, for the opportunity you've given us to know one another. And some of us know each other in marriage relationships, that, 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 that you've, you've given us a partner for this life. I give you praise and glory, Father, that you truly fulfill our needs. You are the one who makes us complete. And I pray that we could be a kind of people who celebrate marriage, but not like an idol. I mean, we don't want to worship marriage like it's better than everything else. It's just a gift from you, but if it's not glorifying to you, it's nothing. It's a false God. May our marriages be drawn, so drawn together in your spirit that they would actually manifest, not in glory for us, but glory for you. That you would do a work that we would never have imagined to two people committing. That you would work in the people's lives who are hurting. Maybe they've been through divorce and they, they, they just feel screwed up by it. Maybe they were one who left someone and it wasn't right to leave them. And they're saying, but not me. I'm not included in that message. I pray, Father, that you would let them know your infinite grace to forgive our sins. You meet us right where we are, and you call us forward. We give you glory for that. And we pray, Father, that as we continue to seek you, that we would all long for the day. We're going to come to a table today, God, and meet you. Seek out your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face today. But it's a taste of what's coming, Father. And we, we know it, but we want more, even now. We would ask for just more, even now, of you. May you be glorified as we seek you. May my brothers and sisters here just celebrate the wedding feast that's coming. And Father, may all creation return to you with praise. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.